0: Welcome to the Rabbi Greenberg Show, the podcast that brings Jewish knowledge to you. The Torah, in last week's portion, devoted extensive amount of material concerning animals. What makes an animal kosher, pure, ritually clean? What makes an animal non-kosher? And the Torah went into great detail about that. In this week's Torah portion the Torah discusses the laws concerning a human being. A woman gives birth to a child. You have to circumcise the child on the eighth day. That's followed by the laws concerning impurity that comes as a result of skin lesions, tzarat, as it's called. So the sages, quoted by Rashi, ask the question, why does the Torah first address the laws concerning animals and then the laws concerning human beings? And the answer given is that this parallels and echoes the way God created. First, he created animals, and then he created human beings. So therefore, when it talks about the laws concerning animals and human beings, animals precede the human being. But that answer actually transfers the question, why did God create animals first and then create humans And how does that translate in knowing that you first have to learn how to deal with the animals and then you learn how to deal with the humans in a spiritual manner? So to understand that, we have to really appreciate why is it that God created animals before humans? So the Talmud asks the question and gives two contradictory answers. Answer number one is, it's to teach us that we are inferior to every other creature. The most lowly creature, even a, a insignificant mosquito or a gnat, is superior to the human being. Assuming that the human being, when he commits a sin, he degrades himself so that he is lower than any other of God's creatures. That's the first answer. The second answer is, it's to show us how special the human being is that God created the whole universe so that when the human being comes on the scene, he should have a prepared table. Everything should be set. It's like coming into a meal where you don't have to wait for the waiter to cook the food and to serve the food. The food is already served. You can just dig in right away. Well, that explains why God created animals before humans, because in one way we are inferior, in one way we are superior. The question is, why are we really considered inferior? Okay, I can understand there are people who behave like animals, which makes them lower than an animal, but not everyone behaves that way. There are at tzaddikim. There are righteous people who are very moral and righteous and do not behave in an animalistic way. Why should they be told that you are inferior to an animal? So to answer that question, we have to understand the fundamental difference between a human being and an animal. Of course, we know that the human being is supposedly more intelligent than the animal. The human being can communicate. The animals have a different type of communication, so ours is unique. There are many qualities that we ascribe to a human being that make the human being unique. But I'd like to focus on something more fundamental, that a human being, by definition, is a deficient being. Why is that? An animal is created with certain needs. It has a need to survive, to get food, to protect itself, to protect its young, and that's it. It has a very limited number of needs, and when those needs are satisfied, the animal is doing well. The human being is totally different in that regard. The human being has multiple needs, not just multiple needs but multiple levels of needs. There are physical needs, there are emotional needs, there are intellectual needs, there are spiritual needs. And then, besides all the needs that we have, we have desires. We want things, and these are things that we don't really need, but because we want them so badly, they become our needs, and we can't live without them, to the point where we know people, I've seen people, when they aged, and they lost some of their ability to engage in certain types of activities like sports and other pleasurable activities, had no reason to live. They lost their desire to live. Why is that? Because those desires became so much a part of them that they actually lost their ability to enjoy life, to be part of life, because those were needs that were unfulfilled, even though they were not really... True needs in the first place So a human being, the Talmud says, has $100 He wants 200 If he has 200 he wants $400 He grows exponentially The human being is inherently a deficient being Because the human being is never satisfied Cannot be satisfied Because whatever a person has There's always a part of them that says they want more Now the question could be asked Where does that come from? Why would God create such a flawed being, as a human being, who has this infinite pursuit of more needs and more desires and never being satisfied? The answer is, it comes from the godly soul, actually. The godly soul has this fervor, this desire to get closer to God, and God is infinite So as close as one thinks he or she gets, they realize that there's much more. So they want more, and it's an insatiable thirst for more godliness, for more holiness, for more spiritual beauty. And that the soul, that the soul craves, is part of the godly soul's constitution. Now, our godly soul lives together, coexists, with our animal soul, with our conscious mind. We're not in touch with our godly soul most of the time. Most people, at least, are not in touch with their godly soul. But they are in touch with their godly soul's feelings of dissatisfaction. When the godly soul doesn't feel that it's getting what it wants, it's not growing, it's not getting the desires that it harbors, it sends a signal to the conscious mind, to the animal soul and the conscious mind, I want more. Well, instead of the conscious mind thinking that that message is coming from the godly soul, and what we want is more godliness, more spirituality, more holiness, more mitzvahs, more good deeds, instead, the dumb animal, at least in relation to how a human being should behave, thinks that the animal soul wants nothing less than more physical pleasure. And more sophisticated people will seek more emotional and intellectual pleasure, but not the pleasure that the godly soul really wants. So in short, what does this mean? That the fact that a human being will never be satisfied, no matter how much they have, and of course there are exceptions, I'm sure people will point out, I know someone, or I myself, of someone that I'm satisfied with what I have, but that's actually not completely true, there's always something that they want more of, but it's certainly not true of most people. So whether you're a tzaddik, a righteous person who craves more godliness and can never be content, or whether you're a animalistic person, you're a hedonistic person who's pursuing physical pleasures, we are always deficient as opposed to an animal. The animal is satisfied, the animal has a limited amount of... Uh, the pleasure or needs that it has, and it usually satisfies them, and it's contented. But we are never contented. They have the contented cow, but not the contented human being. And that is perhaps why we're told that the animal was created first and the human being afterwards. The negative reason is because the human being is by definition a deficient being, because the human being is always Incapable of reaching the goal Because the goal posts are always being moved You know, in Hebrew, the word for sin At least there are several words for sin But one of the words is chait. The word chait technically does not mean sin It means missing the mark That means the human being is inherently a creature That constantly misses the mark And that makes us inferior to an animal Because the animal is more or less perfect It, It hits the mark It fulfills its needs and is satisfied. The human being does not fulfill his needs, whether spiritually or physically. But the weakness of the human being is also its strength, because that is the greatest thing for the human being to have this ability to constantly grow Grow out of who we were a minute ago to becoming something new, to reaching a higher level, going from strength to strength. It says in the Talmud that Torah scholars have no peace in this world or in the next world. They're going from strength to strength, which is true about every human being has that potential to go to higher levels and never be satisfied. But that is our mission in this world to grow, to go higher and higher. And that's what makes us unique and special in a positive way. So it's either a negative because it shows that we're incomplete, we're deficient, but it's also a positive because it shows that we, and only we, have the ability to grow beyond who we were before, to transcend ourselves. Now we can understand why the Torah teaches us the laws concerning animals before it teaches us the laws concerning human beings. What do we want when we read about the laws concerning animals? We learn about a kosher animal, a non-kosher animal. What's the objective? The objective is to take the animal and to use the animal for something higher, to make it something spiritual. An animal, dealing with an animal, refining the animal is a challenge, yes, for sure, but it's not an interminable challenge. It has a beginning and it has an end, more or less. The animal, because by definition an animal is a finite creature and has a finite range, we don't have to go very far to make that animal conform to God's will. A kosher animal, you recite a blessing to thank God before you partake of the animal that's enough to make that animal a creature that conforms to God's will. But when we have to deal with a human being, when we have to deal with perfecting the human being, that is a lot more complicated. That comes next. That is where we have to reach into the depth of the human being and to elicit the deepest soul powers to be able to climb out of the mold in which one finds oneself. That is a greater challenge. And that's why the Torah talks about it after it talks about how we deal with the animal. What does the Torah tell us in this week's Torah portion when it talks about how we deal with the human being? It talks about birth. What is birth? Birth is something new, a a revolutionarily new creature. And then it talks about circumcision on the eighth day. What is the significance of eight? It's well known that 8 symbolizes transcending the order of creation, which is represented by the number 7. Even though the 7th level is a Shabbos, Shabbat, the holy day, we transcend. In holiness, we keep on transcending ourselves. That is a much greater challenge that comes after we meet the challenge of dealing with the animal within us. Now, these two models, the way we deal with the animal and the way we deal with the human part of us, could also be said to correspond to the two ages of existence, the pre-Messianic, PM, and post-Messianic, again PM, but maybe capital PM. What's the difference? So in Hasidic literature, we're told that the Jews, when they conquered the land of Canaan, there were seven nations, seven tribes, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the the, uh, Jebusites, and so on, But yet, Abraham was given ten tribes, these seven, plus another three. But we never got the other three. So we're told that in the Messianic age, we'll get those other three. What does that mean spiritually? So in Hasidic literature, we're told that the human being is a composite of ten attributes. Three intellectual, known as chachma, bina, and dat, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. And the other seven are emotional traits, chesed, kindness, gvurah, judgment, and so on. We are only capable of dealing with the emotional traits, the intellectual traits, to elevate them, to refine them. That will happen in the Messianic age. That is somewhat elusive. Of course, we could do it in a small scale, but on a large scale, that's something that we have to wait for the Messianic age. Animals are basically emotional creatures. They're not intellectual creatures. We can deal and handle the animal within us, but the human within us is more difficult, perhaps in a simple way of understanding that, that we can deal with threats to our existence that come from people who have a thirst for more power, a thirst for more territory. But when you're dealing with an intellectual enemy, someone whose mind is convinced that we have to eliminate the Jewish people, such as the Nazis, such as Haman, to transform that mindset, an intellectual mindset, that's more difficult. Because emotions you can always change, you could always mold someone's feelings, but to change their intellect when it's de- dedicated to doing evil, that requires more effort. That might be a simple illustration of this point. So we have the pre-Messianic focus on dealing with the animal within us, within society. But when Mashiach comes, we will have the post-Messianic level of dealing with the human aspect of our existence. How do we prepare for that? Because we're taught that we don't just wait for Mashiach to come and sit back and wait. We anticipate his coming by doing the things that he will introduce, at least in some form, in some introductory form. So by studying Torah, engaging our intellect with spiritual knowledge, that prepares us for the Messianic age, when we will not only conquer the animal within us, we will also conquer the intellect within us. And that will bring about a complete transformation of society in a positive way. Thanks for listening to The Rabbi Greenberg Show.